Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to the official Devil's Pausecast, as I'm joined once again by my co-host, Amanda Stein. How are things with you, Amanda? I'm doing really well. It's great to see you, Maddie. Well, I see you and speak to you. (laughs) (laughs) In Montreal, as you were last time, or have you gone back to the Laurentians? No, I'm still in Montreal. I'll pretty much be here until I'm able to come back to New Jersey at some point. It's beautiful right now. We finally, you know, when I got here, you saw my pictures. There was tons and tons of snow. Now there's nothing and it's green and it's beautiful out and it's 27 degrees, but I don't know what that is in your speak. It just sounds lovely. I know that. We are pleased to welcome to the podcast uh, Mike Rupp. Mike, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your sharing some time with us and our Devils fans today. No, guys, thank you for having me. I'll tell you what, just to just to speak to people that I haven't spoken to in a while feels like a, an absolute privilege. So I, I'm, I'm pumped to be here and uh, thanks for having me on. Well, we have a, many things that we want to touch upon, of course, your Devils career and what you're doing now and catch our fans up on uh, how life is in the Rupp household. How have things been, though, uh, through this time? Have you stayed busy? Have you kept the family busy? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, everybody else, you just try to navigate through things. I think the biggest thing for me is trying not to fall into, maybe early on I did, but try not to fall into like a, a stagnant state where you're just not doing anything. So I, I think it's an opportunity to, you know, there's different things that I probably put on the back burner that I've wanted to learn more about and, and, and do. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just trying to motivate yourself to do that and, and to, you know, kind of just use the time wisely, I guess. We got a lot of time on our hands and, and use it for something. But as far as, you know, the family, I think the, you know, the kids, um, it's a weird time, you know, and I, I think a lot of it too, they've, they've done really well, I think with it. But when you, when you sit there and I, I try to think to myself sometimes how weird it would be if this is going on when, when we were kids and you sit there and you wonder, they might think this is never going to change. Life is, is, you know, different from here on out. And uh, so I think that's the biggest thing is just telling them like, Hey, you know, this is how it is right now. And you know, we'll get out of it on the other side. And uh, so I think they're getting restless, though. You know, they want to get to and see friends and they haven't been able to do that. Well, yeah, especially as the weather gets a little nicer. So what are some of those things that you've been working on or learning? Oh, uh, you know what? I've always been I've always been a big fan of and I still am now growing up. I used to always listen to sports talk radio and local whether it was in Cleveland where I grew up um, now I have my whether it's nationally uh, national uh, guys or 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 different shows that uh, just I don't know I just like the feel just laid back just sitting around and you know when you're driving you listen to it obviously when you're older and um, you know so I've been kind of just I've had these different ideas that I wanted to do content wise so but I kind of, I'm weird. I'm really weird with like, I have to know how things work. Like I can't just, I guess the best example would be like my neighbor wanted to take me hunting once and he wanted to take me hunting. I never went hunting because that was during hockey season, right? Like deer seasons during the hockey season. So never able to go. I drove the guy absolute bananas because we go out there and we're sitting there in the woods and it's like, I want to know why we're doing what we're doing. How are we? We're trying to lure the, well, what are we doing? Why is he doing that? You know, and he's like, just shut up and sit here and hunt. Like, why you got it? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, but well, I'm just weird. Like, I got to know why these things are happening. I want to know kind of, you know, even for fishing, when you grow up and want to fish, like I, I can't just cast the cast, uh, cast out and just sit there. I have to be like, all right, well, so I got to go to a certain depth of water and I have to, what, what are we, what are we actually doing here? So anyways, to translate that over to the, the, the content side of things, I've been learning how to edit video. Um, so it's been fun get, trying to get familiar with, uh, Adobe premiere and trying to learn these things. Uh, I've got some equipment and stuff set up, um, you know, to, you know, we did a, I don't know if you guys saw it, but we did a, a little podcast, uh, or not a podcast, a, a Zoom call with a member back in the day uh, in 2012 when we had that Rangers-Devils kind of fight to start the Thought, game. Thought, loved it. 
and uh, all those guys, all those guys are great guys. And I was talking to them over the, over the years and they're all like, I'm like, we should get together sometime. Cause we all, we all respect each other. And it was just an interesting kind of behind the scenes thing. So I think that that was just, I was just like, you know what, this will be really good for me too, because I'd never really been in that role to kind of, uh, I guess, host or um, kind of direct traffic a little bit. So it's good for me and what I do, but also, um, you know, just try to learn what works, what doesn't work, how to edit those videos, uh, you know, how to, how to bleed in sound and, and, and uh, it just, it's interesting to me. And uh, so I'm just kind of messing around with that and just learning, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what, I, what that's going to translate to. It was just kind of like a, a trial and error thing we did with the guys and we've gotten really good reception on YouTube with that, that clip. And um, it was a lot of fun. So I'm just trying to pick at those things and see what, uh, what I want to do from it. I mean, it's funny you say that just because we're all also learning all different types of technology and how to, you know, orchestrate things, even like this podcast, you know, it was sort of this discussion, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? Um, and you mentioned like wanting to always know about how things work. Does that translate for you in terms of like what's happening in the world right now? And like the decisions that are being made, like whether it's masks or whatnot, like, is that something that interests you as well into learning why we do certain things? It, it, it frustrates me probably more than interest, <laughs> interests me. Fair, uh, fair. You know, everyone, everyone's trying to do their best and make the right decisions for the health of everybody. But for example, I saw, I actually saw yesterday a tweet from Owen Nolan. I don't know if you guys caught it. And he went golfing with his son. They open up the golf courses uh, and they said, you guys can't ride in a cart together. So, and your son's not old enough to have a cart. So he's got to walk and you can take the cart. And he's like, hold on a second. We, we live in the same house. We drove in the same car here. It's my son. We've been quarantined together. And they're like, well, that's the rules. So those, <laughs> yes. So my mind, the way it works, I'm like, ah, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure that that probably doesn't make sense to many people. But um, you know, yeah, I think that, you know, it's just, you know, it's interesting with that too. I mean, honestly, just, we got more time now. I'm doing, you know, just reading articles and you, whether it's staying up on what's going on with COVID or anything else, you know, you're trying, you're figuring out, you know, your opinion on things and oh, okay, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not always the greatest way that my, I'm kind of wired. Um, it's probably annoying to other people, but, um, that's kind of how I work, I guess. You talked about having your kids. How old are your kids right now? I've got uh, my daughter Maddie is uh, she's the oldest. She's she's gonna be eighteen in November. My gosh! So like uh, I was actually going through stuff yesterday. I was organizing. That's the other thing. I think we're all probably organizing stuff and going through some uh, um, you know cleaning and getting rid of stuff. And I I found a I found picture. It's just crazy that that uh, I'm on here with you guys and what we're gonna you know, some of the stuff we're going to talk about because I was going through and I found this, I found this folder and it was full of pictures and I looked back and it was from, from the cup in 2003. And it was my day with the cup too. And I'm like, I haven't seen these pictures in years. And, and Maddie, my, my little, my little baby was sitting in the cup and I'm like, she's going to be 18 in November. This is crazy. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's the oldest. Mason is, um, he's going to be, uh, he's 15 now, be 16 in November. Max is 10 um, and Marley is seven. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of spread out in ages, but they're, they're a blast and it's fun watching each one of them grow up and be completely uh, unique from one another. Um, you know, you talked about filling time and how people are using their time differently. Can you imagine what it would be like right now to be playing in the NHL, an active member with this certain pause and, how you maintain your body. Can you imagine what that would be like or how you would react to what's going on? I guess the, the one thing that you would probably take some comfort in is that it, it's the same starting line for everybody. So everybody's in the same thing, dealing with the same thing. For the most part, nobody's been on the ice. I know, I think, what, what wasn't it like some of the, in, I think in Sweden. In Sweden. In Sweden yeah, there's yeah. been the rinks open, so those guys have been on the ice. But to be honest, like at this point in the season, when you've played almost the entire year, rest is a weapon. 
And uh, if you're up and running again, I don't know if you want to be going full tilt this whole time. I don't think it's sustainable. So I think that that's uh, it, it's tough. But I, you know, the, the one thing I know just from playing in the league, uh, the strength and conditioning coaches, the the amount of research that these guys do and the teams do to prepare guys and have them, com- you know, meet. Uh, communicating with them like this uh, over whether it's a zoom call or a phone call uh, probably once a week going through where you at and how you feeling. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would be weird. It would certainly be weird. I think the only thing I can probably compare it to is when we had the, uh, the shortened season, uh, the shortened season, we were sitting there and you didn't know what to do, but you, you had to be ready. And um, the only difference is you don't have access to public gyms and, and hockey ranks. So uh, you got to find a way. You've seen guys, though. I've seen Mitch Marner's out there on his uh, rollerblades. And uh, so, yeah, I, the, the best thing, though, is that everybody's dealing with the same thing. So it should even the playing field. Well, you started with one devil's memory, but you were playing for the Rangers, and that's the line brawl that took place in 2012. So I thought, well – Maybe we'll start there because you just had the Zoom cast about it. But then you went to a devil's memory, of course, which was 2003, your rookie year, and you win the Stanley Cup, and your daughter, as young as she was, gets to sit in that cup on your day with the cup. So I do want to take you back. We have some audio we're going to play back here to game seven as the Devils return from California, playing at home against the Mighty Ducks. The game is scoreless after one period of play, and then early in Period number two, this is what happens. Brunt picks it up, trying to go back to the point. Did, white shot, blocked by Niedermeyer. Scott Niedermeyer scores! Mike Ruff deflected it! Langenbrunner, Ruff, freezing. They had a great first So Mike Rupp at 222 of period number two gives the Devils a one nothing lead in a game they win 3 nothing, and that is the GWG of 2003 Stanley Cup Game 7. Uh, so when you reflect back on that, Mike, what, what a singular moment for any player's career, but you become the first player to score his first playoff goal that turns out to be a game-winning goal and the only player to have done that. So your place in history is secure. It, there's, there's a lot of stipulations that go into that. So I, the, more, the more layers you get to a record, I got another one for you. How about this one? This one's hilarious. And I'm saying this in a sarcastic way because I'm not, certainly I'm not bragging about it. It's, but it's, it's funny because you talk about a record. There's another record that I hold in this league. You know what it is? Your first NHL game scoring two goals on your birthday. <laughs> I'm like, that's never going to happen ever again. Like, I'm not sure. So not only, not only do you have to get called up on your birthday, not only have to score a goal, you got to score two. So uh, yeah, man, listen, that's, if that's the way I'll be remembered with a couple very uh, random uh, records, uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. I never thought I would have any of those. So, uh, um, but yeah, you know, when, when you're looking at that, uh, that game, it's, it's a unique situation in itself because I was a black ace, right? Like I didn't play the. You only played four game. games that in the playoffs, right? You had so four points. I though. didn't play the first th- uh, the first three rounds. I did not play a game. I didn't even practice with the team. Um, Stanley Cup Finals are in obviously uh, bouncing back and forth between Anaheim and New Jersey, so they need more bodies to travel, and, and just in case, because it's not convenient, obviously, to to bring a guy up in emergency condition. So me and Christian Berglund are the two forwards that are asked to travel with the team. So we're, we're, we're you know, that's, that kind of is, is part of it. So the first three games of the series, we're up two games to one. And we all know Joe Noondike was banged up at that time. He was out of the lineup and um, I get thrown in in game four. So I play four, five, six, and seven. So I think that that's part of that record. It's, it's usually black aces don't get in. Uh, let alone, um, you know, play the last four games uh, that are possible to play in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, um, yeah, you know what? I, I got put in a great situation. Uh, God rest his soul, Pat Burns was uh, a, a guy that was extremely, extremely tough on me. 
And um, it took some years for me to appreciate what he did. And I actually, I'll be frank, I couldn't stand him as a coach. And I don't think he really liked me as a player too. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't say that. I think he liked me. He wanted, he saw something, he wanted to get more out of me. But when, when I was playing elsewhere and I'd run into him, or when I came back to Jersey for my second stint, I'd run into him down in Florida. He was awesome. He was so good. He was such a good man. He was, he was, I was immature and probably took it the wrong way. He was trying to make, you know, make me what he thought I can be. And I appreciate it. I think he knew that. And, and I appreciated him when I, when I kind of reconnected with him later on and he was, um, it was what I needed. And so um, in that situation, he threw me in a, I, I'm a firm believer that coaches, you can, you can make a player. You know, if, if I'm a coach in the NHL or any league or in any level of hockey, if you put a player in winning spots, more likely, as long as they work hard and, they're, and they have a certain skill set, they're going to succeed. And that's what he did with me. I mean, he put me in game four in that series. I was on the fourth line, taking face off, playing limited minutes. And then in game five, he bumped me up with Jamie Langenburner and Jeff Friesen, which those two guys were maybe top – they're definitely, I think, top five scorers in the playoffs that year. But that, that, was our, that was our hottest line. And I get to play center with those guys. So um, I was put in a great situation. So I got to give credit to uh, the coaching staff and, and the line mates that I was playing with. You win that cup, you know, right off the bat for you, even though you only had those four games. You know, you're a young guy at that point. Are, are you thinking like, oh, like this is going to happen every year um, in the sense that like you're here, you've made it, and now you're hoisting the cup. And, and what type of sense of reality do you get once you're playing a couple more years? Do you have an appreciation for how much harder it is maybe? Yeah, that's bang on because this is a, the exact – thought that was going to my, I remember this distinctively the summer after that summer that we won, I was sitting there, my contract was up. I was restricted. I knew, you know, I felt like I was going to, you know, sign, you know, get, get your, get your uh, qualifying offer and come back. And um, you know, now it was about trying to carve out an NHL career for myself and, 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 and sustain staying and not going down in the minors. But I remember thinking to myself at that point, that was in 2003. The Devils have won three cups in eight years. And I'm looking around. Scotty was still playing. Uh, Scotty 2.0. Niedermeyer was still there. Uh, Marty was still there. Uh, you know, I'm like looking there. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, if I can stay in this organization for the next eight years, I might see, I might see three or more, four, five cracks at the, st- at, at, at the finals. This could like this is the spot you want to be, and the way that Lou Lamarillo had that team structured and playing, you knew that you had a chance to win every year. And boy, was I wrong! As far as <laughs> as far as just there's no guarantees of anything. No, and, uh, it took me until I had one year. No, no, there there was a couple years uh, in Jersey, my second stint, where I think we made it to the second round. I think there was a year in Pittsburgh where we made it in the second round. And it wasn't until 2012 against the Devils that I was able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. So, I mean, you sit there and then I think the one thing I used to – I used to always hear around the Stanley Cup playoff time or during the finals is there's always a veteran player on the other team that this is his first finals in his career or – you know, oh, he lost this finals and it was his first time, you know, going past the first round. And it's, it's you know, you feel bad for him. And, yeah, you feel bad for him. But I'm looking at it from the other standpoint. I won in my rookie year. And it left me empty the rest of the time when you don't do it. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're like – I mean, when you experience that, like yeah. – you know, I don't know. When you go to the Grand Canyon and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm standing on top of my house and looking down at the ground. It just doesn't look the same. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a huge, it's a huge thing to be able to experience at any point in your career, but um, it leaves you wanting more when you do it and you're never able to get back. 
Well, uh, it, it is the interesting thing about sports and about the Stanley Cup. It's hard to get to. And, you know, players all the time will tell you that first one you always remember. And then you wonder sometimes because it doesn't happen. You don't get there a second time. And unfortunately, uh, for some, that is it. But it did happen for you in a game-winning goal and a place in Devils history. But in terms of learning the league, quote-unquote, the business, like the next year you were traded. Right? Yeah. Isn't that like crazy? Like in March, guy who – scored the game-winning goal the year before, is now used in a trade. Uh, that had to be shocking, I would think. Yeah, you know, it, it was – so here's, here's some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff with Pat Burns, um, and he did this again to motivate me. I was young, and I took it as him picking on me. And so I came back uh, – so we came back to training camp um, after we won the Cup, right? And, you know, some of the things you could think are, you know, even now, some of the things I may have thought were unnecessary, but a lot of them were, he wanted a reaction out of me and he wasn't getting it. So we had a preseason and I remember, you know, back then I, I, geez, I remember that would have been the 2003, four season. I'd have to go back and check. I, I feel like we had an absurd amount of preseason games, like eight or 10, like something crazy. And I played in the first one played in the second one. So I'm like, all right, I'll probably not be on the next one. I played in the third, played in the fourth, played in the fifth. I played every preseason game. So <laughs> I led the team in scoring because I played like three times more games than everybody else. But I was like, why, why am I playing? Every, I, like, I wanted to play, but I'm like, why am I playing? What's going on here? And I remember we were at a, one of the last preseason games you're we playing in Providence, uh, playing against the Bruins. And again, I had probably seven points in like seven or eight games in the preseason. And, and Pat pulls me aside before the game, I'm taping my stick and we go out ice level and he goes, how do you think you're, uh, I think you're doing so far with, with camp and the preseason. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, Jamie, me and Jeff are snapping the puck around. Like we're getting some offense. We're like, he cuts me off and he goes, I hate how you're playing. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, look at him, I'm like, is this guy serious? And he uses a few uh, expletives and says that I, that is, I don't care if you get a point. I don't care. Listen, if every guy on that team doesn't, on the other team, doesn't want to rip your head off over the course of a game, then you're not doing your job. So he wanted me to use my size and to be, um, you know, to stuff I had to learn later in my career. And I, I didn't get it at it at the time I was like what do you mean like like we're being productive so uh that was the one thing and then the one thing I think that was a little harsh though is you know we had some guys leave the team uh in the offseason just like every year every team does opening night the raising of the banner and we have some new guys on the team I remember Eric Rasmussen um you know uh I think he was there then Maybe it wasn't that, that year. But anyways, we had some new guys and some guys that were on the team prior that weren't there anymore. So they're raising the banner, and I'm a healthy scratch. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what's going on here? Like, I, I was part of that team. And so it was a really painful, like, not being there. I was on the ice in my equipment, but I didn't play in that game. So that was one of them where I was kind of like, you know, this is uh, – I don't know what's going on here, but it, you know, that was one of my thought that I, that could have been avoided, but again, he's trying to get a reaction from me and I wasn't getting it. And so he kept pushing the buttons and what ended up happening. I remember uh, not paid out much longer. The, uh, I felt like, you know, how you always meet those people and you always hear about those coaches who want that confrontation, even if you're screaming in each other's faces, I'll use another example real quick. Brent Sutter, when he was a coach, I had him and I were screaming at each other in his office. And from that point forward, the amount of respect that he gave me and he was, he was awesome after that. I couldn't stand him up to that point. And we screamed at each other, told each other what we thought of each other. And then he was like, now we're ready to move forward. And it, and I think Pat kind of wanted those things too. So I remember I would sit there, I would talk to my, uh, I remember talking to my parents and, and I was like, I don't know what to do here. Like, I just kind of was a guy that just was quiet and didn't really, 
I wasn't, I was just going to nod my head. I didn't understand what was going on. Then eventually I got up enough courage to, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to share with Pat what I think. And uh, so I remember one day we're at South mountain uh, arena there in West orange. And I knocked on his door and I said, Pat, do you have a, do you have a moment? He's like, yeah, come on in. I sat down and I, I wish there was a camera on me when that happened because I was trying to be so brave with this guy, <laughs> a piece of my mind, and my voice was probably cracking. And I was like, you know what, Pat? I think it's bleepity bleep how you treat me. I really do. I'm like, this is I'm I'm not I'm not good with it. I'm not good with it. I think it's a joke. I think you pick on me, and and you work with me. Tell me what you need. Like, don't I'm not getting your message. I don't you know. And he sat back in his chair and he goes, is that right? I'm treating you like this. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel. And so we kind of hashed it out a little bit there. He told me that uh, he was, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the RCMP and uh, back home. And he mm-hmm. goes, yeah. I don't know if you want to be a hockey player. He goes, if you want, I like you. I think you're a good guy. You're a good team guy. I'm a cop. I can give you a, you know, a recommendation. If you want to go into a different line of work, if you want to be a cop, I think you'd be a good cop. And I'm like, just stewing now. Like this guy, <laughs> no, I want to be a hockey player and I want to play. We just won the cup and I want to be a part of this team and be a big part of this team. And he was pushing my button. So then we started getting after it a little bit more. And then we kind of like letting each other know how we felt. And, uh, I got traded the next week. <laughs> so, I don't know if that worked or not. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, later on when we, when I talked to him and we were talking about it, man, I'll tell you what, I think nothing but the best uh, of Pat. And, and there's just things in life that I think that every kid, whether it's in this or anything else, you just learn. And I, I wish I would have responded differently earlier on in my career, but, uh, you know, Pat was, he, he taught me a lot and, uh, yeah, it was a real introduction to the way the business was. Well, Pat, certainly uh, he had, he had an, a veneer. He had a, a crust, if you will, that made you think uh, you were dealing with the orneriest guy in the world. And then when you were able to get a little inside, you did realize, and eventually you found out. Uh, it took me a while, quite frankly, too, dealing with him as the media like he didn't suffer fools gladly, and it was hard to break through. But if you did, you found out that he really was was a good dude. But it took me a long time uh, to, he, to figure one that out. The, the one story that's funny, so before I had no indication in those finals that I was going to be playing in game four, we were in Anaheim. And um, we got to the rink. I don't remember the time, the start time out in California or whatever. But, you know, generally speaking – you both know that seven o'clock game players got to be at the rink by five. So I'm there, at, you know, five and I'm, uh, I came over on the bus with the rest of the team. And I remember I was, I literally was telling Christian Berglund, we were talking about the nachos that we had the prior game uh, up in the press box. And I wasn't changing. I wasn't doing anything. I did my workout. Uh, I don't actually know. I don't think we did even did a workout at that time. Like as far as during the game, but I was wearing my suit still. So it's like five fifteen, and I'm kind of like out in the hallway. And then the trainer comes out and says, Pat wants to talk to you. I'm like, Oh geez. Like before game four of the Stanley cup finals, I'm just trying not to get noticed by anybody. So I go in the train, uh, the medical room and Pat comes up to me and he literally gets inches from my nose. And he goes, um, did you go out last night? I'm like, no, no, I didn't. He goes, you didn't go out last night? I'm like, no, no, Pat, I didn't go out last night. He goes, you're telling me that if I, that if I ask around that you did not go out last night, I go, Pat, I, I'm a rookie. I'm a, I, I, no, I'm trying not even get noticed right now. Like, I'm just trying to, like, absorb what's going on and he's like if i find out that you went out last night you'll never play in this league ever again and i'm like that's fine i i was in bed at like 11 o'clock and he goes go get ready you're playing i'm like oh my gosh so i was so scared at what the hell just happened that i didn't have time to get nervous before game four of the stanley cup finals and from then on i was just like 
if I don't play good, this guy's going to think I went out and I didn't go out. So, uh, you know, it was, it was the king at like manipulating those situations, but he kept me calm. I wasn't nervous at all in the game. I was just skating for my career because I didn't know if I'd ever play again. If he, if he, if I turned the puck over, I tripped over my own feet. He's going to be like, this guy was out last night. He's done. I, you know, if I was in that position, I'd be like, did I go out last night? Like, even though like, I'd be so sure that I didn't like, I'm like, am I missing something? Did I not? Exactly. That's That's a great story. I love that. Yeah. Well, and then, and then Pat, of course, that was the series earlier in that playoff series, Burnsy benched Dano and Dano had played, not in that series, but in the, in the playoffs, it was in the Boston series. And Dano had played in every game in the playoffs that the Devils had ever had in history. Mm-hmm. And the Devils won game three, I think it was, three nothing in Boston. And Bernsey tells Dano, you're not playing. He goes, why? He goes, I didn't think you played well last game. Well, we shut them out. How bad could I have played? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, though, when he was informed of it, they had this unbelievable face-to-face the the the, uh, the curses were flying one after at each other outside the dressing room. I don't know if you remember it in Boston, kind of as you exit the dressing room and head toward the buses, there's a little area in the concourse there and they were just hammer and tong at each other. But then at the same time, game seven comes against yeah. Anaheim and on the, they you guys land in Jersey and Dan has been in and out of the lineup, doesn't play in that series. And he goes, you're in tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell anybody. And Tom's like, what do you mean? Like, we've come this far. You're not going to put me in now. He goes, you're in. Don't tell anybody. He and was, uh, and Dan was on the ice for the last seconds as that was the last game of his career. He was good with – I was a rookie. But we – and the reason why I'm saying that is because, you know, I mean, I wasn't there for Dan, with Dan all over, you know, over the course of his career. But, you know, he's – He's Mr. Devil for a reason. And um, we all wanted Dano in the lineup. I don't know enough to know if anybody said anything. I don't believe anybody said anything. But I think Pat had that feel that they would create a night, a, a good buzz, maybe even a distraction off of what was at stake here in a game seven of Stanley Cup finals. Like, let's put some of this spotlight on on having Mr. Devil back in the lab. I thought it was a great call. We were jacked for him. And that's one of my favorite things. I'm literally getting goosebumps right now when I'm picturing the closing seconds. I remember Langenbrunner having the puck behind the net and he starts jumping up and down. I remember Dano out there. I remember Dano's grizzly bear look with no teeth. Uh, just, and that's, it was awesome. That's what you wanted to see. And uh, it was a perfect ending for, for Dano there. The way you describe that actually, you know, put into my mind something I like to ask hockey players. And do you have like a photographic memory that's particular to plays on the ice? Can you remember things as well and as defined off the ice as you do when you talk about a specific play? Oh, like a, like a deflection goal. Like I, maybe in my head, I went between my legs, spin rama and <laughs> roofed it off the bar. So uh, it's no, but like no, interesting it's interesting how well, you know, players can you're recall right. a specific play 20 years or whatever years later. Yeah, I can, I can't do it with like everything. There's certain ones obviously that stand out to me, but you know, yeah, you're right. Amanda, there's those players that have like that total recall on anything. And that's, that's impressive to me, especially the guys. I mean, listen, if I was to remember all my goals, I wouldn't be that shocked. It's like, you know, but if like, but if like Ovi remembered all of his goals, I'd be like, that guy's in the wrong profession. He's got to do something else. He's like Justin Bourne. Like, I don't know what, like he's, he's something here, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something where, yeah, and there's certain things. There's certain times where certain scenarios that happen in a, in a game where you, you feel like you're in that moment again. And I think that that's something that's really unique. But yeah, I don't want to say I wouldn't say I'm like abnormally uh, <laughs> able to recall things. But yeah, there's certain things that you, you can kind of put yourself right back in that moment. Well, it, it, it does. Listen, you guys are at the highest point of the sport and everything matters. And uh, so I do understand the recall, maybe not the total recall. It is fun once in a while to challenge somebody. Yeah. You know, I did this and you go, really? I just went back and read the, the <laughs> That's <report."> not what <laughs> and, 
it didn't quite happen that way, but you were right. You did score or something, you know, but you guys are pretty good in general. Hockey players are pretty, in all sports. I remember talking to some baseball guys too, when I was covering that sport, like they, they can remember, like it was a three, two curve ball and, you know, they were playing me to pull and I went the opposite way. You know, it's just, it's, it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. No, it is. It is. You know what? I, I, I love, it would be fun to grab videos of players doing that just to really see what we, what we make of it or, you know what I mean? Like, to be honest, like there's certain things for you, Mike, (laughs) you know, when you're, when you have this meaningful moment for yourself that you're like, I'm always going to remember that it may get some legs over the years, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I don't know. It'd be fun to, that'd be, that's it. Hey, that's our, that's the content series we need right there. We're just going to do, we're going to see, the total recall that players have, and then we're going to pull up the video and see what actually happened. That would, that would be very cool and a lot of fun uh, because you could laugh with guys and then be amazed that they, they called it down to the T. Yeah. But then there's that, there'll be those couple of moments when, uh, no, you didn't fake the guy out of his, you know, his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> he just got lucky and yeah, that would be great. It, it, it would be great. Uh, so I want to touch then upon, the moment you mentioned at the start of the pause cast here, when you mentioned some of the things that you're doing to stay busy and you had this zoom cast recently where you brought back the entire cast of characters from that March game at Madison square garden in 2012, uh, when the devil squared off against the Rangers and you were part of the Rangers at that time. So, uh, as we did with your game winning goal, we're going to give a listen back to what took place as they're dropping the puck at Madison square garden. Jansen and Cross, they're talking. We're going to have action right off the start. And Tortorello is screaming and yelling, eyeballing the ball right now, just eyeballing the ball. There we go. So Doc Emmerich on the call, Pierre Maguire between the benches. By the way, the game-winning goal was called by Gary Thorne. I should mention that. But at any rate, so take us through March 19th, 2012. There was something that occurred earlier in the year, similar. And what do you remember? And tell us a little bit about what some of those guys involved in it talked about on your Zoomcast. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, it's Devils Rangers. Um, the one thing I'll say for me that was different, and it's, you know, it's fun. I still hear stuff nowadays. I, I love playing for the Rangers. Um, it, I, had a, I had a blast. Uh, I didn't play with them that long, but I, I enjoyed it. Um, when I signed that contract, it was very weird to say I was going to be playing for the Rangers, especially considering that I consider myself to this day a devil. And, you know, that's the organization gave me my chance and drafted me and, and played in the minors through the system and, and ultimately won there and spent the most time there than any other place I did in my career. But, um, you know, it was a situation where I actually really thought the Rangers team when I was a free agent was heading in the right direction. And I was excited. I, I had a, a hunch that Brad Richards was going to go there as well. Um, so I was like, all right, let's do this. And so the reason why I'm saying that is it was really hard on me to, it was difficult to navigate playing for the Rangers. And I feel like I had to overcompensate at times to let them know that I'm, I'm with them because you were all in, right? Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, I love I love playing in Jersey. I, like I said, I consider myself a, a devil. And um, I remember when I signed there, I wanted to live in Jersey. I didn't want to live in New York. I wanted to live in Jersey. I was comfortable in New Jersey. Uh, my kids had friends in New Jersey. And I remember I called John Tortorella when I signed and I said, hey, Torts, I'm looking at some places. I have a school that I would like the kids to go to. Um, but I just want to clear it with you. It's I'll be in, I want to be in Jersey. And I looked up, you know, to go up to the practice rink up in, you know, the Westchester area is, you know, this and going to the MSG is this and blah, 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 blah. And I was like very paranoid how he would take that. And he was like, Rupper, I don't give a blank where you live. Just come here and do what we signed you to do. I'm like, 
all right, done. So, but like that kind of gives you my mindset. Like I was nervous that like, I don't like, I, I, whether it's like an old school thinking or whatever, I didn't want anybody to think that I signed in New York out of convenience, out of, uh, I don't want them to think that I was rolling with the devils, but collecting a paycheck with the Rangers. And, you know, I had some really close friends. My closest friends on that team, I still talk to all the time now. I just talk to Patty. Um, I talk to, you know, Zach all the time. And so these guys, I'm like, it was just weird for me. And mm -hmm. especially with the role that I had to play. So, you now I remember even when I, before that, I had a conversation with Parisi on the phone and it was kind of like tongue in cheek, but it, it was kind of letting them know. I said, hey, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I'm on the other team now. And he's like, we we're joking around about it. I'm like, so I'm just letting you know, if you got your head down, I'm going to hit you. Like, there's no free passes, like, cause we're boys. So I just don't want it to be any weird stuff. I'm not going to do anything cheap. I'm not going to like try to hurt you. I'm like, but if, you know, if, if we're on the ice and, and uh, you got your head down, I, I'm going to hit you. And he goes, well, first thing is you won't be on the ice when I am. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, that's true. Maybe not. But, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, we, we kind of had a, a, you know, joking around about it. But so that's kind of like, from my standpoint, how things were, where when we were playing against the Devils, it was always, whether it was the Devils or that same year, the Flyers, um, I needed to let them know I'm, I'm a blue shirt. And usually that would result in me stirring something up or getting in a fight. And we had some that year where just how it worked out to open the game earlier in the season, uh, Cam Jansen and I fought to start the game. Um, it was weird. Another time we played that same season, um, Cam Jansen and I and Brandon Prust and Eric Bolton fought to start the game. And then the third one was the big one, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in March. And it was weird because none of them, we never planned any of them. That was the weirdest thing. And I think that's the reason why when us guys got together to talk about it. There was no planning of anything. Like there, that's what the one thing that kind of bothers me with talking. I know the game's different. It's changed. We didn't like line up and be like, let's fight to fight. Like let's, you know, start this game off. Right. None of that stuff happened. Um, the more times it happened during that year, it got elevated where Tortorella came in the locker room losing his mind at MSG because Pete DeBoer turned in his, his starting lineup and Torts didn't like it. And he came in and he was like, I don't like putting players in harm's way, but we got to protect ourselves. I don't know what they're doing, but I, you know, he's kicking things, swearing. And so he told us who's, who's going to go out there. And, you know, um, he took exception to who Pete started in the game, but I think he may have had a short-term memory loss because he started us in Jersey <laughs> that started the last game when Pete was well, that, on. That's, and we that's Pete's favorite. That, so, that's Pete's favorite line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's right. Pete did say something about that afterwards. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, so it, it, it was – the table was set. We talked beforehand in the locker room, and, um, you know, the, the best part about it, I remember Torres leaves the room. You can hear a pin drop in the room. We're all looking around, putting our gear on. This is like two minutes before, you know, National Anthem. And uh, we're getting ready to go out. And I remember I look across the room to Stu Bickle, and Brandon Press is down to my left. And we just all kind of make eye contact because we're the guys that are starting. And he asked, he told Stu Bickle to play center, who's a defenseman. So that was kind of an indicator that he wanted to, you know, kind of push back the devils here. And so we end up uh, meeting up in the middle of the room and I'm like, so how you guys want to handle this? And uh, so we kind of just sharing what we're, you know, Hey, you know, uh, you know, whatever. And I was like, we don't got to do anything. I mean, the best thing we could do here, we score a goal. That'd be awesome. If we, uh, you know, kind of stuck it to him that way and get an early lead. And, um, you know, we, we kind of discussed it in that, in that manner. And, uh, but if it's there, then, then it's there. And when we went out there and then the crowd at MSG took note of the starting lineup, everybody was standing up 
and there and, and the energy that was there. Then you look over the benches and DeBoer and Tortorella are screaming at each other. The energy that was in there, it's like you just got filled with this energy that you, you didn't even know. No, Eric Bolden didn't say a word to me. I didn't say a word to him. Not a word was said. You know, Pierre Maguire says in the, in the call, the, the, the guys are chatting. I don't think anybody was chatting. It was like this weird energy between mm. us that we just knew. I didn't know that the, those guys were going to fight. I didn't even know I was going to fight. But then Bolton and I just had this body language, and we just dropped the gloves, and it was uh, it was a crazy experience. But you know that was that was one there too. Another one that happened later on in that in the playoffs that year. You know, it's one that I still uh, you know I've dealt with over time, but I don't have a regret for it because uh, we were playing Eastern Conference Finals against the Devils, and we hit a wall in New York. We played a style under Tortorella that was – we were up for the President's Trophy that year. I think we lost it to Vancouver. We were, we were, we were a good team, and we had an, a true identity, but we played hard. And I think it started catching up to us because we went seven games against Ottawa, seven games against Washington. We were, we were feeling it. And the Devils hit stride, and they're like a buzzsaw in 2012. And so we're playing there, and um, – in that series. And after a couple of games, it just felt like the, the locker room felt like a morgue. Like there was no energy. Uh, it was just, didn't, um, I felt like the, the type of player that I was, that I needed to do something to, to just to, just to throw some gasoline on the fire here, just to try to spark some emotion. So I'm lined up for a shift and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go out here. I'm just going to just hit and, you know, just kind of run around and hit, hit guys. And I go behind the net and I hit, uh, was it Peter Harold? Was it Peter? Well, anyways, I hit Harold. It was a Josh. Yeah. There's two of them. Anyways, I hit Harold behind the net. Yeah, Peter. And it was a clean hit, but I think the refs knew that, like, I was going out there trying to, like, run around a little bit. And they called me for it, and I was so mad. And I took my mouth guard out, and I started yelling at the referee. And I look over my shoulder, and Marty's standing there. And I don't know in that moment, I have nothing against Marty. I love Marty. I've talked to Marty about it after. I've apologized in, in years later. But I, in that moment, was like, well, this will get some emotion in here. And I shoved him in the chest. And then everything kind of hell broke loose and, and whatever. And, you know, so I still take some of those abuse from Devils fans there. They're like, we don't know if we should love you or hate you. You know, you, you're part of the cup team and you scored that goal. But then you – you did this to Marty. You fought against us all the time. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I did those, I did those things for you guys. Like, I, I have to do them for the other team. And that was a big thing for me with the Rangers is to show, like, I'm with you guys now. And it, it went a long way with them. And, uh, um, you know, I had to do some cleanup later on with my relationships with some of my former teammates in Jersey. But I talked to Marty about it. I actually had a good talk with him during Patty Eliash's uh, – Jersey retirement, I was like, hey, man, there's nothing. And he knows. Marty's, Marty understands. He's been around. And uh, it was, uh, you know, that it's was hockey, tough. Man. That was tough it's because uh, I had to do what I had to do. And we, we lost to a better team that year. Well, we'll let everyone know that you are oh, wearing your devil's gear today. Yes, it is a little – it's getting a little snug. So I might need an upgrade. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you guys – we could pass this message on uh, to Pete uh, that L beats and uh, or anybody else in that organization wants to send me uh, maybe a double X would work, but uh, no, it's uh, yeah, I, I wear it. I wear it proud. And again, I loved my time in all my places I played. Uh, I had some of my most fun years playing um, in Pittsburgh, but I consider myself a devil and uh, I always, I always, uh, I always have. I mean, that's where I learned how to play the pro game. So um, I got nothing but love for, for the Devils. Well, and I think the fans return it to you. Yeah, they may point out a few things here or there, but the truth of the matter is game-winning goal, Stanley Cup, your place in Devils history is secure. Last things, maybe we'll let you go. What's, what's keeping you busy? I mean, you made the transition to media we see on NHL Network. Uh, has that been fun for you? Yeah, it's been fun. Um, I, it's been really interesting because I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was done. So um, this was an opportunity to just go and see if I liked it. And I did like it. And I think one of the things that comes about is I think long term, I'd like to be involved with the team. Um, 
you know, that I did actually have a few opportunities with player development, trying to learn the, the ropes of that in, in different places, um, get involved in coaching, uh, you know, coming right out of playing and, and, and had maybe some opportunities doing that, but I wasn't ready for that yet. And so this gave me the opportunity to stay involved in the game, stay out there, learn something new. I enjoyed it. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, but later on down the road, I'd probably like to maybe transition into something else. Uh, but this is great because it gives me the opportunity to meet people and talk to people that I normally don't, wouldn't be able to do. Uh, you know, I'd be at, I'll be covering the all-star game for the NHL network. And it's funny because I'll have some moments sometimes where you're like walking and then all of a sudden, like, you know, Luke Robitaille will walk by and be like, Hey, rapper, what's up? And I'm like, Luke Robitaille knows who I am. So it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, it just gives you those conversations and those relationships. And those are always, always important. Do you learn something different about the game when you move over to that side where you're analyzing that maybe you didn't realize when you were a player? It's easier. It's easier to, to say <laughs> what guys are doing on this side. Um, you know, I, I think that I've, I've always been okay with that though. Like I've always, I don't really, I don't want to come down hard on players in situations. I, I don't, I'm like, you know, the game's like, it, my job is to point out and to break it down though. So like for an example, my roommate in Pittsburgh was, was Chris Letang. Chris Letang's a heck of a defenseman. Um, sometimes he has a hard time calculating when to go and when not to go. So an example, I need to point that out. I can't just give him a pass. You know what I mean? I can't, uh, you know, and I'm not going to give a player. I don't even of know. Of course. A pass. Yeah. But you could do it because you do you could yourself do it in a, a disservice, way. right? I, yeah, yeah, no, like I have to be transparent. So I'll say, though, example. I'm just using him as example as his buddy. Like, you know, Tanger knows better than that. Nine times out of ten, he's not making that play. This one, it got him. He's got to do this. You know what I mean? But like, that's not. I'm saying he he he's a player. He's good. You know, blah blah. But even for the for another player, I don't believe in coming down on a player. They're pros, man, and we all make mistakes. You want, you want to pull my clips? Uh, I'll give you a long reel of making mistakes on the ice too. So, uh, But you got to say what was wrong and break it down because that's what the fans want, but you got to do it in a tactful way. I'll agree 100%. Well, time has run very quickly here. Mike, we do appreciate your time. It's coming up on whatever, almost 50 minutes or more. Total recall is definitely something we're going to revisit. We could be onto something there. So uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been a blast. And again, as I mentioned, your place in Devil's History is secure. Appreciate your insights and your memories and your time today. Well, thank you. Anytime, guys. Enjoy. Stay safe. Hopefully, we'll see you guys at the rinks here soon. You got it. Mike Grubb joining us uh, on the official Devil's Pause cast. Amanda, a lot of fun digging back into some recent, relatively recent devil's history. And uh, the image of Mike's daughter sitting in that cup is pretty cool. <laughs> it absolutely is. No, this was really fun and different. You know, we've talked to a lot of current guys right now, what they're doing. And so it's fun to dig back into the history, especially for me. I didn't grow up a devil's fan and I know like little bits and pieces, but this is nice for me as someone who's now part of the franchise to, you know, be able to dig deep and understand other relationships within the franchise. So we'll wrap it up on that note uh, for Amanda Stein. I'm Matt Lawton. Once again, thanks to Mike Rupp for joining us on the Devils podcast. Thank you for your company today, everyone. We'll see you next time. Be well, be safe, and have a good time.